You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. And welcome to the Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I am your host, Kathy Biasse, and I am an holistic nutritionist and a cancer coach. We focus a lot uh, in our lives on achieving key milestones in the first half of our life, you know, education, kids, family, career, and rightly so. But when the second half of our life comes along, a lot of us can be unprepared simply because this stage of our life has really never been a focus or a planning, you know, something to be planned for. And, you know, the question is why? Why shouldn't each stage of our life be equivalent in its value? Different in focus for sure, but equal in its value. Now, aging in the Western society is is um, often marginalizing, and and people as they get older are are looked upon as maybe as having a lesser value in our society. And again, I'm asking you know the question why? Where in other cultures, elders are revered for their wisdom, knowledge, life experience, and a valid part of society. Today, we are going to be exploring how to lay down the foundations of of our second life and really roar into this half of our life, if if not with equal optimism, even maybe with more optimism than we had in the in our first half. There's so much to look forward to in each and every stage of life. And I truly think that we do need to pay credence to each and every one of them. We are going to be living longer. You know, the medical and health fields and and you know as we hear from from Michael talking about technology and wearables, we are going to be living longer, and we do need to pay attention and really figure out what we're going to do after the first half of our life. Our guest today is Michael Clinton, um, and he is a new longevity expert and columnist for Esquire and Men's Health. As former president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines, he now serves as special media advisor to the Hearst Corporation CEO. He is the best-selling author of Roar Into the Second Half of Your Life. He is a photographer, an avid traveler, and has run marathons on seven continents. He is a, a private pilot, part owner of a vineyard in Argentina, and founder of a nonprofit foundation. Michael holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Pittsburgh and two master's degrees, one from Columbia University and one from Pace University. He serves on the boards of trustees of International Center of Photography and Pace University. He is a regular columnist for Esquire and Men's Health Magazine and has also written for the New York Times, Town and Country, Runner's World and other outlets. 
it's a fantastic and really invigorating topic. We need to change our perspective of aging. We need to understand how valid we can be as we move into the second half of life. We talk about so many interesting topics. It's a great, great conversation with Michael. You know, some of the highlights for me were um, what is the second act career phenomenon? Uh, why should we look with great optimism to the second half of our life? And how and when do we start building this roadmap so that we can roar into the second half of life. Please do stay with us. This is a topic for everyone. We'll be back in just a few minutes to talk to Michael Clinton. Some days life feels perfect. Other days it just ain't working. The good, the bad, the right, the wrong, and everything in between. Yo, it's crazy, amazing. We can turn our heart we say mountains crumble with every syllable broken live or die to speak life Other days my thoughts just fall apart I do, I don't, I will, I won't It's like I'm drowning in the deep Well it's crazy to imagine Words from my lips as the arms of compassion Mountains crumble with every syllable Hope can live or die So speak
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. And Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's such a great honor to be with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. Um, so such a great, timely topic. We're going to talk about preparing for the second half of our living. Um, now, tell us about yourself. How did you come to you know, make yourself available in this space for people to really follow you? Uh, where did you start off in the writing field? Well, thank you. I actually started my, my whole career as a journalist many years ago in my 20s, but I then went to the, the business side of magazine publishing. And ultimately, I was the publisher of GQ. I was at, for many years at Condé Nast and then at Hearst, where I was most recently the president and publishing director. So I had a really great run in the magazine business um, you know, as a career. But when I was uh, getting ready to step out of the day-to-day, what I realized is that, you know, I was interested in winding up in new ways versus winding down, which many of us are told we should be doing. And so I decided to put my, uh, my writing skills to work um, in uncovering and putting a spotlight on that. And hence the book, uh, Roar into the Second Half of Your Life. And, you know, you, the, the comment says it all. We're told that we should be doing that. We're told that the second half is the wind down phase. It's the closing curtain. And why, why do we feel that way? Why here in the Western world do we not give credence to the second half of our life the way we should? Well, you know, a lot of it was built around a construct in the 1930s and 40s, you know, mostly in 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 North America, you know, U.S., Canada, et cetera, because in those days, the life expectancy was in the low 60s. So you basically worked and then maybe you, quote, retired, but then you didn't live much longer on, on average. And um, so that was where kind of it all started, because retirement was a was a, is a false construct to begin with. It was something that was created then. Um, to move people through the, the workplace and out of the workplace. But what's happened today, you know, is if you're 60 and you're healthy, you're, you're going to possibly live another 30 years or more. So the script that we were given by the culture, by society, by, you know, all of the influences is irrelevant today because you can have a very big second half of your life starting at 50 or 60 or later with a second career, a new lifestyle, a new relationship, lots of different ways, because you have a um, you have many, you know, hopefully longevity in, in a unique and different kind of way than was just around, you know, 75 years ago. Well, in your workings and your research, is it just a matter of the workforce putting this arbitrary number in us living a longer life? Or is there a particular way we look at um, the aging group in our Western society where we're almost devaluing that part of our life? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, very much so there is an ageist culture that is all around us. It's in images and words. And, you know, I, words are important. I was in the magazine business, so mm-hmm. words are important. You know, I, I um, like to say that 60 is the new 60, not 60 is the new 40 which always implied that you should be, you know, fighting that you're living longer. You know, I believe in a midlife. I don't believe in a midlife 
crisis, I believe in a midlife awakening, because you've lived now 25 years as an adult, and you know who you are, hopefully you know who you are. You know, let's forget things like, you know, age appropriate and focus on person appropriate, because people are doing things much longer, much different than they might have been. I mean, there are new parents at 50, for example. And, you know, once upon a time, that would have been that would have been unheard of. So a lot of it is culturally imposed on us. And hence, we create a lot of self-imposed ageism. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, I, this is not appropriate for my age. I'm not able to do that, et cetera. You know, one of the fun, fun stories I like to tell is when I'm talking to people about a fitness regimen and they're in their 60s and they say, oh, you know, I, I can't, you know, start a fitness regimen. I'm, I'm too old, quote unquote. I like to tell them the story of Fauja Singe. I happened to run the Toronto Marathon and witnessed him the first 100-year-old man to cross the finish line of the marathon. And by the way, he ran his first marathon when he was 82. Hmm. So this self-imposed, I can't do this because of my age, is, you know, once again, another false construct that we, we find ourselves in this trap that we put ourselves in. You're part of a growing culture where ageism is being struck at the heart. Uh, it is, you know, I, I think it's a, as you're talking, I'm thinking about all of these things that we've learned recently, like rewiring of the brain. You know, how many years ago was it that what's there is there, you can't adapt, you can't change. And this is a part of self-imposition of how far we can go. When you were doing your research, when you were writing this book, did you go into physiology and things like that and, and attack the myths or the misconceptions from that platform? You know, somewhat, but what I was really interested in doing was finding people who were actually living the life of this new script that I call it. And I interviewed 40 people. I call them the reimagineers. They are people who at, at midlife completely, you know, fought against all of the, you know, all of the supposed things that we are lined up to do. One of the things we'll touch on your question is this notion of lifelong learning and how learning and being a student every day is it keeps our brains uh, strong and healthy. And, you know, think about people always talk about um, how they're intimidated to go back to school in their 50s or 60s. But, you know, I, I went through a personal experience. I uh, did a second master's degree in my 60s, and it was incredibly stimulating and you know, expanded my brain in lots of ways that I had forgotten, quite frankly. So I think this notion of being a lifelong learner is, is, a, is a mechanism for keeping your brain engaged and healthy. I think the optimism that you bring is one of the key underlying factors. People can step back and say, yes. You know, I can try and tackle that. Do you see this change that you are trying to push forward and other big names in the in this uh, this industry, this platform? Do you see this in any type of way in a reflection of how the workforce is changing or adapting to um, allowing more senior people in the age category to stay on or rehiring? Well, well there are a few things there. First of all. Um, you know, I like to say that the great resignation is a bit of media hype, because when you really examine the numbers, there are still many, many people 
you know, in the workforce, some by necessity, some by desire. But there is no question that people will want to work longer. Some of it is because they will need to, quite frankly, as they're living longer lives. And they won't want to check out in, in their 60s. And, and businesses and government and institutions will have to accommodate that need. Also, uh, there aren't enough people in the next generation to fill a lot of the, the needs in the labor and workforce right now. So what we're seeing already is many companies recalibrating. You've heard of things called returnships new hybrid work models for people over 60, extending uh, your seasoned employees in new ways that might be part-time that include health benefits. The other thing is for the first time in history, we're going to have five generations in the workplace at one time, which is really astounding. And tapping into the wisdom and experience and potential mentorship that older, older employees can bring to these younger cohorts of employees through intergenerational projects, et cetera. I mean, that's priceless. And so companies, smart companies are going to realize that they have a very, um, very rich resource. Uh, I was very proud of the fact before I left my day to day that I promoted a 70 year old woman in a job and expanded her responsibilities. She was, she's an amazing, uh, individual and, and, uh, professional. And, you know, I said to her, Carol, I hope you'll work as long as you want. And we're already seeing that with people in their 70s and 80s, even, you know, being big contributors and meaningful contributors. I mean, look at the president of the United States, you know, look at Fauci, you know, Dr. Fauci, others um, who are very vibrant in their core careers well into their 70s and early 80s. Well, to me, it only makes sense that you want a good cross-section of intelligence and wisdom and experience. Uh, you know, uh, we're, we're forced as, as, as human beings onto the Internet platform and to work with computers. And I know that was a very big change for a lot of people in the workforce. But beyond the technical space, beyond uh, the, the ins and outs of knowing the, the, you know, the quote, what the job entails, the wisdom, the experience, the dealing with people, the attitude towards work is you, you can't, you know, you just can't beat the teaching wisdom that people who have been in an industry or a job or working for that matter have to give younger people. I just don't, I don't think that that is appreciated enough. Yeah, I think, you know, perspective is really a great you know, tool that is oftentimes forgotten, because for those of us, I will remember, you know, having gone through multiple recessions during my business career, you know, when the last recession hit, you know, I had a perspective as to how you na can navigate through it, how it is a, um, a moment in time. You know, there were many young professionals who had never been through a recession, and you can mm -hmm. you can easily get into a panic mode when you see your business fall off yep. the cliff, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, giving them some perspective, some history, some wisdom, I think, created some calming waters as we we as a team navigated our way through the down the down cycle to get to the to the up cycle. So, I think you know that is that is a um, you know, is one example um, that that you know can can talk about how you know seasoned seasoned employees and/or managers can bring 
value to the workplace. And I do think with the integration of uh, the young and the uh, more mature age group, you're also seeing on, um, you know, the 50 and 60 year olds, this is just a personal observation, and I might be wrong about this, but I, I do see a malleability with the 50, 60, 70 year olds to try and understand the younger age group as well. You know, I think the last gen, this is how we did it. This is the way, why are you changing things? It was working well. Um, I do see that there, there can be a commonality reach between the two. And I think that that's fascinating. You know, I, I was just talking recently about just the, the topic of raising children. And uh, we had a discussion about uh, baby led weaning. And this is all new to people my age, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when people are working together and then when we're, when we're appreciating each other, there's a discussion rather than a, well, I don't see how that works idea. And I think it's, it's wonderful that this is happening in the workplace. I really do. Now, tell me, do you feel that there is a difference in approaching the second part of our life between men and women, or is it a a common, a common theme with both? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, In all the people I interviewed, I would say that there was no gender difference um, per se. Um, Although I will say that I think that women are much more, um, adaptable and fluid in thinking about change. Because if you think about, you know, many women, particularly working women had to juggle families and had to juggle, you know, primary caregiving and as well as, you know, building a a career and so forth. And I think that that has um, that I think many of the people that I talk to that, you know, women in general seem to be able to navigate through change in a much more uh, dynamic way. Um, you know, I don't want to generalize, but I think the commonality that was with both men and women was this, A, the sense of curiosity. There was a deep sense of curiosity. B, there was a deep sense that you had to do the work. You had to really sit back and identify what it was that you wanted to do to move yourself forward. And that took time and introspection. So I think that the, and there are lots of tools for introspection that are out there that you can, one can use. But I think that, that that ability to go deep inside oneself, you know, part of that is personality, part of that is ability and capability. But they shared those, both men and women shared those commonalities. Is it a changing of perspective with the sense that we should be looking towards what the second half life of life has to offer versus the closing curtain on life? Do you have yeah. to change that perspective? Is that a big task to overcome? It, 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 it can be, but it's also an awakening. And I, you know, I'll give you an example. We just, uh, you know, we have a newsletter now for Roar, uh, which is you can get at RoarByMichaelClinton.com. And we did our first Zoom session with, uh, which was across the, the country. Actually, we had some international um, Western European guests, but the topic was, how to start a second career at 50. And I think that what, what happened in the past is that people would say, okay, well, I'm 50. I'm going to ride it out in my career. I'm going to, quote, retire, maybe an early retirement at 55, 60, 62, pick a number, but I'm going to kind of ride it out. And now I think there is this sensibility that at 50 or 55, I could possibly have an entirely new second career that can last 20 years or more. 
And the second career should have a different set of characteristics to it because your life stage is different. Um, you know, at that point, you probably have raised your family potentially, or you're about to, you're not going to be as focused as much as, well, I've got to get the promotion and I've got to get the raise because you're climbing, a, you know, the, the quote unquote corporate ladder. But you can have a very different set of characteristics for a second career that you can kick off at, at, at 50, 50 plus. One of my favorite stories in the book was a woman I interviewed. She was a book editor, English major in college, undergraduate degree, and she decided in her early 50s that she was going to become a medical doctor, which, you know, that journey is, you know, an, uh, you know a challenging journey uh, in, in many ways. She had to go back to school and study chemistry and biology and take the boards, and she didn't get accepted to an American school because of ageism, and she went to the Caribbean. And in her early 60s, she became a medical doctor, and her attitude was, you know, I can do this for 20 years and make a meaningful contribution as a medical doctor. And that's, that's, a, great, you know, that's a great run. Mm -hmm. And so I think that thinking, thinking about the whole possibility of a second career at 50 or 60 or, or even older is, um, you know, is very much in the reality of the world we live in today. Well, let's face it, the first half of your life, and this is a linear life we're talking about here, right, everyone? Um, the first half of your life is you educate yourself. Uh, you know, generally, you, you find a partner, maybe raise a family, you get established in your career, and then you're, you're in your 40s. You know, and this is just, you know, this is a wide brush I'm, I'm going with. Right. But, but, you know, when you think about it, why stop there? Okay, you've done this, you've cultivated, you've raised your family. For me, the second half is like, it's my time. You know, um, I've, I've done what I needed to do. I have supported and that was my, you know, like me personally, my, my perspective was my family. It still will always be my family, but now they're on their own. They're, they're self-controlling adults of their own life. Why not have this perspective of, hey, let's focus on something that, you know, I might have learned or picked up or an interest in, and let's go with that for the second half. What's wrong with that? Yeah, it's definitely a personal mindset. You know, oftentimes people will say, okay, I'm stuck and I, you know, don't know what I want or what to do. In fact, I've just um, launched a new column in Men's Health Magazine and my my next column is going to be on this very subject, how to get unstuck. And one of the things that I always recommend to people is to go back to your younger self. You know, when you were, before you started that, that journey that you just described, you were in your early 20s and you had dreams and aspirations or things that really excited you. I, I always like to use the example, you know, the person who wanted to be an archaeologist but uh, became an accountant because it was a more practical decision mm -hmm. uh, to make a living, et cetera. Okay, you're now, you know, in that point in life that you just described. Okay, how do you go back and reclaim your interest in archaeology? You may not become an archaeologist per se, but there are lots of ways that you can build um, your, your interest in that in, in integrating it into your life. And that's just one, one example. But, you know, the go back to your younger self and reclaim something. It could have been a hobby, a passion, a career path, you know, a relationship, you know, but go back to that younger self because therein lies a lot of richness. Absolutely. I think it's such a wise way to look at things. Uh, everyone, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a couple of more minutes to have uh, 
the second half of this conversation. I woke up in darkness Surrounded by silence So where Where have I gone I woke to reality Losing its grip on me Oh where Where have I gone I can see the light Before I see the sun Took me so long I was looking outside As if love would ever want to hide I'm finding I was wrong Cause I can feel You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. 
To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Michael Clinton, author of the book Roar, which we are going to discuss in just a couple of minutes here. But Michael, we spent the first half of the show talking, you know, a lot focusing on career and so forth and and how to maybe transition from one career to the next. But what else aren't we considering that we should be considering maybe in our early 40s, maybe younger by by your wisdom um, as something or things that we should also be planning for as we get into the 60s, 70s? Yeah, well, you know, certainly I would talk, you know, the, the fundamentals, one of the uh, roars and acronym, as, as you know, um, the first R is reimagining and reimagine yourself. And we can get deeper into that. The O is own who you are. A is the action plan and R is reassessing your relationship. So I wanted this book to be very actionable, yet inspirational. But one of the key things to answer your questions is the O, which is, you know, own where you are right now. And that is tough for many people because you have to take a really good hard look at, you know, what are your health stats? What are your financial stats? What is your, you know, are you thinking about all of those things to be able to make practical pivots for this the second half? I, I'm always shocked when I talk to a 50-year-old and I say, what's your blood pressure? And they have no idea or, or their heart rate, or they haven't done, you know, many of the fundamental things that you should always be doing as you're living longer, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of, you know, medical attention and just making, because that's really, it's, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's really the fundamental of all things, right? Your, your health, well-being. And so, you know, with that goes all of the things along the way, you know, from nutrition to fitness to whatever it is that you might do to keep yourself, you know, healthy through a long and and prosperous life. So, you know, what I like to do is keep a life journal, which I start every January, and I have multiple categories that include family, relationships, fitness, health, you know, passions, etc., to to really keep myself accountable for all of those things. And I kind of glance at it once a, once a month, so I'm not obsessive about it, but I just, it's, it's my own tracking device to make sure I'm on the path of what I want to keep you know, in check and what I want to develop and, and create for that upcoming year. Is it, do you find that people um, are not taking pride in their achievements, in their age, basically? Is this something that you have to, uh, the emotional piece of transitioning? Is that a yeah. big part that we need to focus on? Yeah, I think, I think it's changing because I think we're seeing a lot of role models now emerge that are pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, I think about, you know, Jennifer Lopez, you know, who is in her 50s. I think about Sting, the, you know, who's 70 or Lenny Kravitz, who is ripped and almost 60, you know, just amazingly in, in shape. One of the images that I like to put forth is you will remember the television show, The Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. The characters were in their 50s. Now, think about those images, because in today's world, you would think, well, they, they must have been a lot older. Now, if you think of the Sex in the City characters, they're also in their 50s. Mm-hmm. So just look at the difference between the cultural cues of what 50s look like. And so we're beginning to see, you know, a lot of images and, and cultural change in 
role models where people say, wow, you know, that's 60. Wow, that's 70. And, you know, I think taking pride in the in, in, in age and being a role model for not just our peers, but for the next generations, because I want I want that 40 year old and that 35 year old and that 25 year old to say, well, that's what I can do at 70. You know, I can you know, I, I'm going to have a lot of possibilities in my life as opposed to what the stereotype image was, of, you know, the 65 plus person. So I think a lot of that is um, is the immer- emotional journey of being able to say, you know, this is this is who I can be and this is what I can be. Well, one of my favorite stories was an NPR uh, interview. He was 107 and she was 100 and they were a new couple. <laughs> and it was the most charming interview. You know, one of the great lines is she said, you know, I basically wake up every day and I look over to see if he's still breathing. And if he is, I know we're going to have a great day together. <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah. reality, right? It's just you know, a reality I, check. <laughs> right. I think when you're 100, you think that way. But, you know, what I loved was the possibility of romance at 100. And so many of us shut down emotionally that we can't have another relationship. You know, we can't do certain things because we're, we're, you know, imposing ageism once again on ourselves. And so find the role models, find the images, be inspired by those people and, you know, hopefully become one of those people. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, fighting versus, um, uh, versus embracing, I think, too. I mean, why do you need to fight aging? You should embrace it for all that it is at that moment in time, if we can live at a moment in time in some ways and appreciate that every day, you know, no matter what age you are, every day we put our feet on the floor is a blessing. Um, and just those little changes in perspective, I can, I think will help the younger people too. You know, you no, shouldn't no, be dreading. No question. no question. I think the thing that is, was a big aha for me is Stanford University has a center for longevity, which is a longstanding group. And they just put out a paper. You can, you can search it and find it. It's called the new map of life. And basically what it is, is that the 100 year life is here already. And today's five-year-old, if they've had good prenatal and early child development, 50% of them will have the opportunity to live to be a hundred. And today there are 90,000 centenarians in the U.S. And by 2100, there will be three, over 3 million. And there'll be 19 million around the world. So a 100-year-old is going to become normalized. And it's going to change all of the perspective of life cycles. So that young person who's 25, when they're looking out in their life and saying, I may live to be 100, that creates a very different vision of Mm -hmm. how they're going to live their life versus previous generations that would say, well, 65 is kind of my end date, 70. I mean, that's not the case any longer, but that's the, that's the mind, the mind construct, if you know what I'm saying. Well, you you know, if if you're planning on retiring at 60, you got to have a lot in the bank and a lot of things that you're, you're planning to move forward with uh, if you're going to be living uh, to 90, 100 years old. And the also the the other thing that is inspiring is that you can also have health challenges and 
still make it to that age in this day and age, right? Um, and, and that too, I think, is an important piece for people. Inevitably, when we're living longer lives, we're going to be faced with different health challenges. And but we're able to overcome them, especially because of you know modern medicine and so forth and integrative medicine, but also the perspective that we have on our life. Um, you know, if you get an illness when you're you're 40 or 50 now, you have a long time that you can recover from it and have, you know, in, in some way, shape, or form. Whereas, you know, years ago, if you got sick uh, at 40, 50, 60, it was a different outlook, I think. I think, anyways, you might have a perspective on that. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the medical technology is astounding and it will continue to evolve. We're already seeing it in wearables and in different ways that we're able to, to capture things earlier. I was just having a conversation with a with a research group in Detroit. Uh, it's called My Car, The Doctor, which is a collaborative research project with University of Michigan and um, Toyota. And one of the things that they're working on is through technology in your car, through sensors, steering wheel, camera, they will be able to detect early behaviors that might be, they're not going to do the diagnosis, but they're going to have different behaviors in how you you move within the car and or measurements through metrics and holding the steering wheel, which will have integrated, you know, digital technology that might say you're you're an early, you know, early hypertension or you're having irregular heartbeats or et cetera, et cetera, which is capturing something early, taking that data to your doctor and letting that doctor, you know, do the, the diagnosis capturing that early. So medical technology is going to be very much a part of it. And, you know, aging at home, it will become more and more the norm because people will have that ability to uh, have technology and medical advancements to give themselves longer life at home. Well, a big thing that I am a proponent of, uh, you know, with people I work with and so forth is being active in your own health versus being passive and and going to the doctor, being told what to do, told the tests. This active role in health, too, I think that we are all starting to embrace in and of itself promotes longevity because it's a piece of the life of your life that you are now in more control of, whereas years ago, we weren't. Yeah, and I think that there is, um, <clears throat> once again, this proactive nature through a lot of the wearables that are already, you know, in existence. And, and also having that, that ongoing relationship with, you know, a, a medical doctor mm-hmm. that is, is tracking what it is that you may have in your family history or your own, your own experience. I think part of the, um, you know, urgent care centers are important for urgent needs, but using an urgent care center for all of your medical needs is probably not a smart, smart idea because you need that that relationship with um, with a medical doctor who is going to be able to make sure that you're tracking the right way in terms of being proactive in, 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 in your health. And, you know, absolutely, there are so many tools and resources now to help us and allow us to do it. 
I think it's a it's a, a beautiful area of healthcare that's coming, and it won't be too long um, before right. where you're having a sit down and talking with our doctor versus an appointment where we're told. And I think that that is going to be a big moving piece moving forward. When you're writing your book, I'm sure you had a ton of aha moments, but is there one particular one that you came away with thinking this, thinking that this is really this has changed me? You know, writing this book has changed me a lot. And narrow it down to maybe one or two instances. Why? Yeah, it's a, it's also a great question. I think what what was a the, the major amplification for me was that living longer and this new longevity that we are talking about is going to change everything. It's going to change everything around us, um, our personal lives, our family lives, our work lives, our our social lives. It's going to, it's going to be a very, very different kind of future because we are going to have so many people that are moving through that 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 cohort. So in in 2030, you know, one in in five Americans will be 65 plus. And not only is the US aging and Canada is aging, but the world is aging. It is the graying of the planet. And what is happening is the big aha that I saw is that many, many, many people are now saying that, you know, what 60 and 70 and 80 can look like and should look like and might look like is going to be very, very different because we're going to be the ones who are going to redefine it. And that was very exciting to me because mm-hmm. once again, it creates a whole new set of role models that 40 and 30 year olds will be able to aspire to. So I think that this, this redefinition was something that I captured as I was doing the research for the book. And it was the biggest moment for me to say, you know, not only is this real and is this happening, but here it's happening right in front of us. And the people are leading this social revolution. They're, the business and government, et cetera, are so far behind. They need to play catch up. Yeah. They need to really play catch up. And, you know, it, it's, um, you know, the people are going to force this change, which is always part, you know, of a meaningful social revolution. Everything is a cycle. <laughs> We're talking about the housing market yesterday. We talk about, but the cycle may be, you know, cycles are longer or shorter, whatever. But the cycle where um, elderly people and the wise people were not appreciated is, has to change with this outlook. It really does have to change. And I think it's such an exciting prospect for those of us who are in, you know, over 40 into our 50s that you're giving us an outlook that is so positive. And when we go into this age group and we think we have a real important role um, with the younger age group, I think it really can really can change and increase the longevity just in that positive thinking. I think it's brilliant what you're doing. I think that, you know, not enough people can hear the message. And, and I, I congratulate you for, for all that you do. When do we need to start planning this transition? Or when do we need to have like a plan in place, would you say? Ah, well, the first R in ROAR is the reimagining process. And one of the questions is, what does your favorite future look like? And I think it's important to start that process at any age, and it never, it doesn't have a timestamp on it. You know, reimagining should be 
something that we integrate into our lives constantly because life is dynamic, as we know. And, you know, I love, I remember asking my 85 year old mother, mom, what is your favorite future? And, you know, my mother at the time said, well, I hope to have a peaceful death. Now that people might say, oh, well, that's kind of morbid. But I would say, no, I think at 85, you're thinking about that. And so what are you doing to, to get yourself, you know, to that place mm-hmm. in terms of health and well-being and, you know, doing all that you want to do? So the reimagining process should always start uh, at any age. The other thing is there's my personal favorite chapter in the book is on a topic called life layering, which is how we build multiple personas and identities for ourselves as we go through life so that you have, you know, one of the big issues when people do leave their first career and they, you know, oftentimes go off the cliff because all they did was, you know, identify themselves by their job. Yes, they had their family life, but I like to say, who else are you? You aren't what you do. You are who you are. So what are those personas that you have built? So the life layering concept um, is laid out in, in the chapter. When I, when I stepped out of the day-to-day, I had five, six, seven different definitions as to who I was as a person. And I leaned into those, into those layers that I had built over you know, 30, 35 years because I started that process you know, in my 30s. Um, so I think that's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a dynamic, constantly evolving process. I, I, it's, I totally agree. And I think people at the age of 20, 25 should be listening. I mean, they will listen to it with a different perspective. Um, but I think that it should be exciting for somebody at that age too. I, I think that, I think honestly, Michael, that there's no question that each stage of our life, we have a different focus and a different perspective. I, I, I totally embrace that. But I think that each one of these stages of our life, the perspective changes, yes, but the importance and the credence that we give to each of them is essential. One is not more important, and it goes right to your layering concept. Uh, it is who we, we develop into being, and there's no reason that 60, 70, 80, 90, 100-year-olds, they're they're valid. They're less valid at that stage of life than any other. I congratulate you for what you do. It's, it's a, an amazing interview. I, I, it gets me excited um, for people to hear this. Where can they find your book? Well, the book is, um, you know, in in hard copy on Kindle and Audible, so you can you can actually hear me read the book if you're if one is so interested. And it's on all the it's on all the platforms. It's in all the the bookstores and Amazon and Barnes and Noble and you know etc. Um, so it's um, it's very exciting. It's I've been very fortunate. It's been a bestseller. I think I hit a chord. I hit a nerve in what's happening in the culture. We're going into our third printing, and so you know I think it has been some. It's been a message that I've been it's been joyful to bring to and, and put a spotlight on because it is such a real phenomena and many, many people are, you know, curious and questioning and interested and excited about the, the second half of their lives. And so I'm thrilled to be able to bring a lot of the messaging to, to the world at large. Well, congratulations. The book is entitled Roar into the Second Half of Your Life. The author is Michael Clinton. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a fantastic interview. I'm so happy we've, we've had uh, the opportunity to have you on our show. So great to be here. It was really wonderful. Thanks for the great conversation. Thank you. And everybody, we'll talk to you next week on The Health Hub. 
You have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.